0: Now, grab your Bibles, if you will, and let's, um, let's return, my goodness, let's return to our, um, our series on the parables. We're going we're gonna to go to Matthew 21. How about that? Matthew chapter 21, and verse 28. Now, you follow uh, in your copies as I read you this parable of the two sons. It goes like this what do you think a man had two sons he went to the first and said son go and work in the vineyard today and he said and he answered I will not but afterward he changed his mind and went he went to the other son and said the same and he answered I go sir But did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. The tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God, it endures forever. Guys, um, Matthew chapter 21 is a very busy chapter. There's a lot in here in the scope of uh, 46 quick verses. And, and I, and I want to show it to you. If you've still got your Bibles open, uh, just take a look with me uh, what, what all is in here. The chapter uh, opens up in the first 11 verses with what uh, is known as the triumphal entry. You know, that's a, that's a big date in the, in the life of Jesus Christ. That's the palm branches and the Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It has, it has incredible messianic overtones. It is, um, it is rich with prophetic uh, fulfill, uh, consummation. It's a big thing that takes place in the first 11 verses. Then in verse 12, uh, what you get there included is Jesus' version of a fist fight when he goes into the temple and uh, cleanses the thing single-handedly, you know, where he's turning over those tables of the money changers and he's running people off. And and, and interestingly, he doesn't do that with the assistance of with some armed guards. He does it himself. Uh, single-handedly. I mean, that's almost miraculous in itself that he ran all those people out of the temple single-handedly. But then in the midst of that, almost as an aside, we're told in verse 13 or 12 and 13, somewhere in there, um, uh, that he healed, he gave sight to the blind and healed the lame. And then after that, you get this eerie little experience or this event in verse 18, where uh, where he curses a fig tree. And then after that, this fist fight that he started over in verse 12, erupts into this full-blown confrontation with his enemies in in um, uh, verses uh, 23 and following the the, the 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 chief priests and the and the elders uh, at which time uh, these guys look at him and they ask him who gave you the authority to do these things where did you get your authority can you imagine that human authority, disputing divine authority. And then after that, we get these two parables that close out the chapter. <laughs> Gosh, I'm, I'm tired already. Um, th- th- there's a whole lot going on in this chapter, and, and I would love to spend some time uh, looking at these events, these earlier events, but as you know, um, at least I think you know, we're in a series on the parables So um, it's these two parables at the end of chapter 21 that that um, concern me and that and I have my uh, sights set on. But I don't want you to miss this, guys, as we start. These two parables, the one that goes from 28 to uh, 32, which I just read you, which is we're going to talk about this morning. And the other parable that starts in verse 33 and closes the chapter. Those two parables are related. Um, They are both. There are two parts of a reply that Jesus makes to the question that is uh, posed to him in, in verse 23. By what authority do you do these things? These two parables is Jesus' reply to that question. They, they have a little bit different um, focus on to them, but they're, they're both replying to this contemptuous question. Can't you just hear the contempt in their voices? Where did you get this authority to do what you're doing? Can't you just hear that? Well, these two parables are how Jesus answers that question, at least in part. Now, we're going to examine that more closely in a moment, but but let me mention just a couple of quick things small things, um, introductory things that I I want you to keep in mind as as we uh, look at these two parables today and Lord willing next week. First of all, both of these parables that close out chapter 21 are about a vineyard. Now, Now guys, in New Testament vineyard language, normally when vineyards are being discussed... In the New Testament, it is normally some kind of discussion with some kind of reference to Israel. Because as you may already know, um, it was the prophet Isaiah that described Israel as a vineyard. In fact, Israel liked to think of herself as God's vineyard. So you have two parables here, both uh, um, discussing a vineyard. So my point is simply this. Guys, it's kind of hard to miss who this is being aimed at. Both of them. So now we know that. We know to whom this is being addressed. Now, secondly, both of these parables use a tactic um, that Jesus does not use anywhere else in the New Testament. He does something in these two parables that he does not do elsewhere. It's, it's almost Rogerian because he starts with questions. He starts in verse 28 where he says, hey, uh, guys, um, hey, what, what do you think? And then look at verse 40. Uh, he says, um, what will they do to those tenants? How do you guys see it? What, 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 what do you think? That is, a, that is a tactic, ladies and gentlemen, that you're not going to find any place else in the New Testament. He does it twice, both times in response to the question, where did you get this authority to do these things that you're doing? Now, when they answer his, what do you think? Because they, they, they do answer, um, they answer verse 31. When they, when they answer they unwittingly condemn themselves. And the next week you're going to see that when they answer in the other parable, that um, (laughs) they choose their own punishment. Which, um, as I said, we'll look at next week. Now, the third thing that I want you to see, just kind of as an introductory item, is that, that this parable that we're looking at this morning is Matthew's version of the parable of the prodigal son. Now, you, if, if you've never read your Bible, I, I bet you know about the parable of the prodigal son, or at least you've heard of it. It's the most famous. It's the most popular of all of Jesus's parables. And we're going to get to it, Lord willing, before this series is over. But, um, that, that parable, the parable of the prodigal son, um, you know, the, the prodigal who went off to the faraway country and all that, that's found in Luke 15. This is Matthew's version of that. It's a parable that has two sons. It's a parable that has, uh, one father. And, um, there's only one of these two sons that gets, uh, the father's approval. Um... And it's not the one that you may have at first expected it might be. The one that you thought might get the approval is not the one that gets the approval. Just like in the parable of the prodigal son. Um, So understand, I, I don't know whether Matthew and Luke collaborated. I think they probably didn't. But the point that you find in the prodigal son is very similar to the point that you're going to find right here. Now, with all that introductory stuff stored away, let's, let's grapple with the message of, of this parable in, in verses uh, 28 to 32. Guys, um, this whole scene is electric. Now, do you understand? Did, did you get this? This is a confrontation. This is a fist fight that broke out over here in the, in the, in the temple in, that kind of moves over to a bigger venue where the leaders of Israel gather in front of Jesus and just jack his jaw with this crowd around that's listening and, and, they, and they, 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 they approach him and they say, Hey, you! Who gave you the authority to do these things? The air is filled with tension. Who who asked that kind of question? Who would who would who would be that rude? Well that's what's going on here, guys. It's 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 a, it's a very dramatic By the way, by the way, um, it, it it goes all the way to the end of the chapter. It's the same setting. Don't don't shift gears with I mean it's the same confrontation. It's full of drama. And you know how I love drama. (laughs) But guys, um, remember a day earlier, he had just entered triumphantly with people waving palm branches and saying, Hosanna, here comes in the name of the Lord and all that business. Then he cleansed the temple. Um, And then you get this lightning bolt. This. Who gives you the authority to do these things? What things? What things did he do? Well, he you know he cleansed the temple. You know he went in there and overturned all those tables of some of their fine patrons of the temple. And then he, he healed those people of blindness and lameness. <laughs> and 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 then he he cursed that fig tree. Why, I used to eat figs off that fig tree. You know, this guy is, he's nothing but a troublemaker. Tell us. Where'd you get your authority, huh? Who do you think you are? Healing people. Why? That's just disgusting. Disgusting. Now, ladies and gentlemen, into that setting, Jesus answers. He starts his his answer, really, in verses that I did not read, but he starts his um, his answer in verse 24, when he says, all right, um, I'll answer your question, but first you've got to answer mine. Tell me, uh, the, the baptism of John, did it come from man or did it come from heaven? So he begins his answer by posing a riddle. Um, it's really not a riddle, but um, it's 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 adequate to tie these guys in knots. They are stumped, and they admit it in verse twenty-seven. They say, um, "We don't know." Now, after. He gets them to admit <laughs> that they don't know. He then tells his parable. Hey, um, what do you fellas think about this? That's how he starts. It's a new strategy. It's a new tactic. What do you guys think about this? Uh, <laughs> there, was, um, there was this man... And this man had two sons, both of whom, I mean, both of his sons received a command to to go out and work in his vineyard. Now, guys, it's at this point when we get the reaction or the responses of the two sons where we find the point that Jesus is trying to make. Once, as he tells this parable and and he tells you about the responses of the two sons, um, that's where we're going to discover the point of the whole parable. And let me tell you, it's big. It's real big. And not only is it big, it's offensive. It's offensive. At least to certain members of his audience, it's offensive. So look with me at, at son number one. Son number one uh, was told to go, by his father to go out in the vineyard and work. And, um, and he says, initially, he says, no way. He answers uh, with, a, with an emphatic no. Here's the command of my father and here's what I say to your command father, absolutely not. There's a, there's, a, there's a hostility. He's rude. He's insolent. It's the kind of son that no father would want. I don't want anything to do with your silly commands. Just like the prodigal son. It's not a very good start for that son number one. Dad would have been so disappointed, so broken hearted. But as the parable unfolds, we're told that later, in Psalm number one, something happened. What happened, Jimmy? I don't know. But something happened, and after some reflection, we're told in the parable that he changed his mind. That's in verse 29. He changed his mind and he went. Oh, how how pleased the father must have been. My, my son who saw the, the error of his way. Um, and, 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 and after a while, he didn't start out very well. But I mean, he finished so well. Now guys, do you see it? L- l- let me tell you what I mean by the it. Um... Look down at um, verse 32. The tax collectors and the prostitutes. What do they have to do with anything? Why does he mention all of a sudden tax collectors and prostitutes? Here's why. Because the tax collectors and the prostitutes were just like the reaction of son number one. Um, Son number one um starts off real bad but something happens you know tax collectors and those prostitutes yeah, you know they're not doing real good either but something happens something happens such that they they change their mind And um, as a result of having seen the error of their ways, they're changed. Changed into different people. And I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, that change is the biggest threat of all. At least it's the biggest threat to people who are unchanged. You see, son number one, is um, there's a message in his response. Son number one started out real bad, but something happened. And as a result, they become new people. Well, that brings us to son number two. Son number two initially makes a very positive response to his father's command. But then he never budges. <laughs> How about that? You know, guys, you've you got to be my age to remember this. Uh, a television show that was on television, oh gosh, way, way back in the 50s, uh, in 60s, it was called Leave it to Beaver. I mean, you be—you got to have some age on you. I and mean, I just aged myself, I told you about Leave it to Beaver, but... Leave it to Beaver was this sitcom uh, about this family, the Cleaver family. And it had a mother and a father and two boys. One was named Wally and the other one was named Beaver. Beaver Cleaver. And uh, every episode was this, uh, this um, uh, you know, just another insight into the family life of the Cleaver home. And it, it was real popular. Real popular. But in Leave it to Beaver, there was another character. <clears throat> His name was Eddie Haskell remember Eddie Haskell? No, you never saw that thing, did you? Eddie Haskell, let me tell you about Eddie Haskell. Eddie was um, very prim and proper. Every hair in place. Very polite to all the adults. Yes, sir, Mr. Beaver. You're looking quite lovely today, Mrs. Beaver. I mean, Mrs. Cleaver. Yes, ma'am, you're absolutely right. Oh, I, 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 I applaud you for your insight there, Mr. Cleaver. And then when the adults left, Eddie Haskell was a little devil. I mean, he was always plotting all these things to, that, 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 um, that were bad things. My point, ladies and gentlemen, is that Israel, Israel is a nation of Eddie Haskell's. That boy, that, that Haskell boy, he was a liar. And so was Israel. Israel's religion was, was formal and external and, 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 and all talk. It was just one big formal show. They get a command from the Father. then they say, I go, sir. And they never make a move. They never budged. then Jesus says, which one of those did the will of the Father? And they are quick to say, well, the first. Jesus says, you got it. Because, ladies and gentlemen, these two boys, these two sons represent the two great classes of sinners in the world today. There's the, there's the one class that's the overtly wicked I mean, they lived hellacious lives. And then the other class is a class of religious phonies. Just like the prodigal son and the elder brother. And ladies and gentlemen, here is where the master stroke falls. This, this is where the hammer drops. This is, this is the gotcha moment. In verse 32, if you'll look at it, when Jesus says, well, Let me begin in the middle of 31. Jesus said to them, You got it right, guys. Truly, I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom before you. For John came to you. Now, guys, remember, when he started his reply to the offensive question of verse 23, he started by asking them about John the Baptist. Well, we're back to John the Baptist, all the way down here in 32. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes, ho, ho, ho boy, they believed him. Yeah, they sure did. Remember, remember that that semi-riddle that I gave you just a few minutes ago when I asked you about whether John's baptism was from men or or, or from the heaven. And, and, and you said, um, you know, um, you didn't know. But I bet you knew this much. I bet you knew about the preaching of John the Baptist and what he was saying. Because you remember what John the Baptist was saying? He looked at Israel and he said... You brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And then that John the Baptist guy that you don't know who he is. He also said this. After me comes one who is mightier than I. The strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to stoop down and then tie. I have baptized you with water. But he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, yeah. I bet you knew about that. I bet you knew that he was calling Israel to repent and he was telling Israel that their Messiah was right around the corner. And you know what? You guys didn't like him. But there were other people in that audience. Those, um, those tax collectors and the prostitutes. They listened. And not only did they listen, under the preaching of John the Baptist, oh, 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 yeah, they had started off. Initially, their lives were were wrecks. They were in open rebellion before God. Oh, yeah. In fact, they heard the commands of God and they said no. But then under the preaching of John the Baptist, something happened to them. And they've changed their mind. Which, um, if you know anything about the term repentance, that's what the, the Greek word metanoia means. A change of one's mind. They repented. They saw how wicked they were. They saw how wrong their life was and they They changed. Just like son number one. What I mean by that, says Jesus to these chief priests and elders. Just in case you guys have forgotten. John the Baptist came and he was calling Israel to a hatred of their sin. He was asking Israel to be prepared because the coming Messiah was just around the corner. And you guys didn't like that at all. You didn't like his message. You didn't like the person he was telling you about. And you know what? Those tax collectors and those prostitutes, they did like that message. And upon reflection, they changed, just like some, some number one. Oh, no, no, you, you, were, you weren't overly impressed by John the Baptist or his message. You don't even know who he was. But you talk a good game. Just like son number two. But those prostitutes, those tax collectors, those societal outcasts, those those moral pariahs, those religious nobodies. They listened. And it changed them. And, and even worse, you guys, you say something, you pretend, I go, sir. But you didn't mean it then, and you don't mean it now. You talk, and that's all you do. Well, that's not exactly right. You talk and you do the opposite. You remind me of what Isaiah said about people like you. The people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. You guys, says Jesus, you guys, oh, you're right on the outside. But on the inside, you're a whitewashed sepulcher. Nothing but bones and putrefaction on the inside. You say you're in agreement with the will of the Father, like Son Number Two said. But if you were in agreement with the Father, you would be actively involved in obeying the Father's commands. And you're not. You resist anyone who claims some kind of authority over you. And I can see that very clearly in your question. Who gave you authority over me? And the last thing in the world that you want to do is yield to some savior. Because as far as you're concerned, you don't need saving. And Jesus says, and you know why you are the way you are? I'll tell you, says Jesus, you, unlike the tax collectors and the prostitutes, have never seen yourself as guilty. Because if you did, you would long for a savior. You guys have a very high view of your religious accomplishments. And the problem with Israel, the problem is not that there's a few bad apples in the bunch, as if we, if we could read a couple of volumes of abnormal psychology, that would fix everything. No, that's not the problem, guys. The problem is sin. That's the problem, Israel. It's sin. The ravages of the fall over Israel. You've fallen and you can't get up and you will not admit that. In fact, let me put it to you like this, is Jesus. There's no sin quite as bad as thinking that I have no sin. There is no spiritual condition quite as ruinous as the one that doesn't think it needs a savior. Nothing will ruin you more quickly or more completely than your self-righteousness. When people like prostitutes and tax collectors hear of forgiveness. Why? They hear of a savior who, can, who has died for their sin. And, 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 and paid their debt. They make a beeline to get to that savior. Because they know how wicked they are. But you guys. You're so high on yourself that an invitation to come to Christ rolls off you like water off a duck's back. Because a Savior? Who needs a Savior? Why? I'm a good person. Ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. Satan's masterpiece is not some prostitute or some skid row bum. Satan's masterpiece is a person who is happy with themselves and thinks, I'm really a good person. Prostitutes know better than that. They also know that there is no sin, no crime, no piece of immorality that is so awful that it can keep me from God's grace, even my prostitution. They know that the only thing that will keep me from this God is unbelief. The only thing that puts me out of the reach of God's grace Is unbelief, an unbelief that is caused by a very high view of myself, a self righteousness. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, the blinding power of self righteousness. People who are blinded by self righteousness are blinded that they're blind. Tell me, what do you think of yourself? No one knows you better than you do. So just how good are you? Too good to need a savior? Tax collectors don't think like that. And they refuse to let their sin be their identity because Jesus Christ has become their identity. No one enjoys a gospel of pure grace better than someone who knows his own sin. And I want you to notice in verse 31 what Jesus says. He says, Truly I say to you, He's talking to Chief priests and elders who asked him, where'd you get this authority? And he says to them, tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom before you. Do you know what a bombshell that is? Do you know how offensive that is? Do you know how furious people get when they think they are good and you tell them that they are not Ladies and gentlemen, do you know what it is that this 21st century Western modern people hate about Christianity? I'll tell you, just that. Can you imagine how this audience of elders and chief priests received this message? You know, the guys that asked, who gave you that authority? You know how they received that? Where we're told, we didn't read this in our text, but it's over in verses 45 and 46. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard these, these parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. Well, what do you know? And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they, they held him to be a prophet. The crowds is that, that he is. You know, I'll tell you how they responded to him. Get rid of him. Ladies and gentlemen, I wonder how many of us here are like son number one. I am. Do you remember those days where we thumbed our noses at holy things? Do you remember those days when we knew what God's commands was and we said, Pff! do you remember those? And then something happened. And God showed us our sin. And um, then he showed us the solution for our sin in Christ. You know what, ladies and gentlemen? We're just in the same line with a bunch of prostitutes and tax collectors. And we are thrilled to be there. And you know what? This parable says we're the ones who are approved. I wonder how many in our audience this morning are like son number two, who are still drunk on your own goodness. And oh, how reluctant you are to admit that I can't save myself. Oh, there was some occasion, I mean, I don't remember exactly, maybe it was back when I was 10 or 11 when I got baptized at my church. Oh, I went through the confirmation class of my church and I looked at that preacher and I said, I go, sir. But I have never budged. And you know what? I don't have a heart for this. I'm really not that interested in it. Oh yeah, there was a time when I said, I go, sir. But then I went off to college. And then everybody found out who I really was. And this parable says to you, you are unapproved. I want you to see this and I'm done. I want you to see the, the gospel invitation contained in this parable. Because the father says to both sons, go work in my vineyard. Go serve me. Tell me, my friend, what can you point to? What can you point to right now that is your service to God? Forgiven people love to serve this God, not, not because our service earns us anything. It doesn't earn us anything. But it's just our way of responding to such a beautiful person, such a beautiful gospel. A gospel that tells us that we're forgiven. A gospel that promises forgiveness to sinners, no matter how wicked they have been. All because Jesus Christ paid it all. Hey guys, um, you know the name Dietrich Bonhoeffer, some of you do. And if you don't know Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a German Lutheran pastor who opposed Hitler in World War II. And he even participated in the plot to assassinate Hitler called Valkyrie. He was hung by Hitler um, four weeks before the Allies arrived and liberated where he was living. But um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was born, was raised in a home where his father was a psychiatrist. And um, he said this, Bonhoeffer said this, he said, In the presence of a psychiatrist, I can only be a sick man. But in the presence of Christ, I can dare to be a sinner. Any attempt on our parts to ignore that fact that I'm a sinner will fail. What we all need is that Savior. Now, let's go serve him. Our Father, I pray that you would uh, get great return on your investment from us. And that we as a people would respond to the great beauty of the gospel. Knowing that our service doesn't earn us a thing. But knowing That in response to what Christ has done on our behalf, that we find serving him our delight. For those who are here, Lord, like son number two, would you show them that what they need is not more good deeds. What they need is a Savior. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.